Project A podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot yeah, for considering me the uh, suitable host for this podcast. Yeah, for our audience, we're here in Tuscany uh, for a 10-year celebration. Uh, and instead of a company, like traditional company update uh, for that kind of um, areas, what we try to do is an interview with our go-to-market team, which actually consists of three teams, yeah, which is our communications and brand team uh, to the right, uh, represented by Simon, our sales team, <coughs> represented by Raul, and our marketing and CRM team, represented by Tuinang. And so what we try to find out here is what happened during the last uh, 12 months. How would you uh, consider what, what are the right way th uh, ways forward uh, for the next, you know, a little more bumpy phase than what we've probably seen over the last uh, few years, yeah? So um, maybe starting with uh, you two guys. Uh, so you two guys means Raul and uh, Simon. We, you, we've seen quite a lot of uh, change in your teams. Probably starting with you, Raul. What, what has happened in your team over the last few months? How can it, how will it develop? Yeah, so uh, this is also some news to the company. Uh, within the last couple of months, we were trying some things out. We were trying to find how can we break things down within this huge topic, sales, uh, into what are the upcoming topics that are going to be really important, and obviously, especially as the situation as it is continues. And so the four sub-squads that we're working with right now and also establishing are uh, sales, obviously, customer success, revenue ops, and growth. And we see those as the most important four building blocks right now where we're doing different exercises in, I would say, advancing where we are right now with our knowledge, uh, but then also what we can offer to our ventures. Mm -hmm. And you've, you've also been quite engaged in a trainee program. I guess people notice that. Can you describe a little bit what, you, what you're doing there? And do you think that's also a good idea for other potential startup companies and ventures out there? Yeah, so just shortly to up summarize it, we have a graduate program where we take people from university, uh, we train them on uh, basic sales skills, we have ongoing training, coaching every week and all kinds of different knowledge exercises. And then we send them to our ventures and within 18 months they become really good to typically at uh, selling but also understanding the meta level uh, within that and, and then also can advance further, become really good head of sales and uh, sales operators and so on and so forth. And uh, that's been working really well, and I do believe that that's something that's really attractive to young people. So if I would say you have a reasonable size where you can offer them different things to see, uh, where you have different exit routes that are interesting to them, uh, it probably makes a lot of sense to think about something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So first take-home value of our podcast today, yeah? if you always think salespeople are hard to find, you have to develop them yourself. Yeah? So first learning there. And do we have something comparable? comparably valuable from the communications and brand team, Simon? Yeah, I hope so. So, uh, as you might have noticed, over the last uh, few months, we kind of rebuilt, restructured, and also slightly expanded the brand and communication team at Project A. And we are now structured along three, we call them verticals. The first one, content, led by Lana. The second one, communication, led by Toby. And the third one, uh, brand, led by myself. And uh, then we do have a horizontal layer for all, let's say, internal projects, which is led by chain. And so at the end, we build in the team, sorry, Rainer, for that kind of a matrix organizational structure. And, uh, but we uh, think or we hope that this will give us the flexibility to react to whatever will come. Since I think none of us know exactly how this uh, situation will evolve, how it will develop what really, uh, which skills are needed. But we think with this structure, we are flexible to react. Mm -hmm. In your team, Tuinang, any comparable kind of shifts or no, but still I the think same kind of setup? <laughs> 
still the same setup, maybe as a reminder, so how the team is set up. We have, uh, we had initially three teams, so acquisition, engagement, and uh, the general marketing team, uh, which was mainly founded by, uh, by Philip to um, especially support our B2B ventures. That is now transforming more into a demand gen and growth uh, team um, to be a bit more sp um, specialized in that topic. Uh, and I didn't change it because mainly for the reason that I hire for talents um, and I basically look at if they bring the right skills to support our ventures and yeah, and that's, that's really it. Mm -hmm. So I think one learning across the board in all your teams, I guess, is really this theme rather higher for talent or for potential than hiring for experience that still seems to be working quite well for us and I think that's also something that other ventures and startups can kind of copy. If they have, not always. <laughs> if they have the right people to, to train people, yeah. obviously. I mean, that's the, yeah. You cannot obviously develop if you don't have anybody that can develop. So that is uh, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, can, yeah. can I add something to that? Sure. And I think uh, one uh, one thing that is a little bit different in our um, scenario is that we also manage the expectations of the talents that actually join us. So I always tell them it's going to be hard. You're not going to have a 40-hour. Uh, week um, and uh, if but if you commit to that then you're going to see a steep growth curve mm -hmm. and I'm pretty happy with the with the house we've made so far also the people how they um, how they developed in the team so yeah but I think that is very important because you, you don't you don't build up high performance if you uh, if you don't manage the expectations right away yeah okay um, and probably as a reminder for our audience here and also in the, in the podcast, um, I mean, it used to be more the thinking that you have to have very specialized people focusing just on SEO in Italy, for example, but or just on SEA. We moved a little bit away from that. Yeah. Uh, uh, what have been our experiences Do, would be, I mean, obviously you think that's a good idea, otherwise you would have changed it again, but people tend to be less specialized. Why is that? And, and is that a good idea also for for founders and other marketing teams, basically. Yeah, I think it's not, uh, the people are not less specialized. They just add the, a more general uh, profile on top of their uh, specialized profile. Mm -hmm. So if you take, for example, Jana, she was very specialized in CRM. And sh what she did, for example, at Laser Hub, where she's been leading the whole growth team, that was just like astonishing. And I honestly, like I also <laughs> didn't expect her to fulfill the expectations so highly like perfectly well also to the ventures. Um, but I think that's also a great example to see that um, uh, that on the one hand side, you should still be able to specialize, but also you should be able uh, to, to have a very wide role to also manage the people you work with in the ventures. Probably going to the current economic environment, we already discussed about it a little bit. I mean, you said you're gonna, you know, address it uh, with a matrix structure. Any other recommendations to people out there? What they, well, like, or first of all, how do you deal with the situation? Is there any specific preparation apart from what you already said? And are there any recommendations that you can give to to our ventures and our listeners in the in the field of of brand communications? So I would say, as I already said, to come up with a with a flexible structure and a flexible plan will definitely help. And uh, maybe a little bit more theoretical, uh, of course. So, yeah, of, of course, when there is this economical downturn, of course, a lot of, especially of our portfolio companies, they have to stretch the runway and uh, therefore they have to cut costs. 
And then when it comes to growth or commercialization, it makes a lot of sense to cut rather at the upper end of the funnel and to focus on the measures that are closer to the, to the conversion. So I think this makes sense and I think this is what we will experience uh, also in the next months. And since this is already the third uh, recession I go through in my professional life, I'm pretty sure that this will happen. But nevertheless, on the other side, I think if you don't have to cut the costs, so if you have enough money, then it's an ideal timing to invest in the upper part of the funnel. Because in the upper part of the funnel, it's all about share of voice. And when there is an economic downturn and all your competitors and the whole economy in general cuts down the budget, then share of voice becomes more affordable. So that means you can then build up your brand equity, build up your brand, uh, brand awareness in a much more efficient way. And then uh, once the crisis is over, being in a much stronger position than the beginning. So this is what I would always recommend to also to our venture companies. If they don't have to cut on brand communication, on brand marketing, maybe even double down on it because it will never be cheaper uh, to build brand awareness than in an economical downturn. Yeah, as you, I mean, just to, to add to that, I mean, if you look at Zalando, like kind of brand appearance they had in 2009 would probably not have been possible if that wouldn't have been just in the aftermath or still being a little bit in the recession and, and financial crisis. So I think that that's definitely the case. So if you have the money to invest, it's good to invest it in a crisis. You just shouldn't run out of money. That's why <laughs> always, uh, 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 do you have anything to add to that, Raul? I mean, how do you prepare for this? Are you, I mean, you're close to the conversion, obviously, or closer to, uh, on average. Do you see any kind of uh, recommendations here for sales teams in that kind of environment? So even after the conversion, um customer success or even customer service wise. If you're saying, okay, we have to go into hibernation, we have to make sure that we survive for a year or two, uh, that still means you have to make obviously the most of the existing customers that you have. And so that's the cheapest year you're gonna get is making sure that the customers you have are not gonna leave. And so also the easiest thing you're, you're gonna do if you're really gonna set up customer success. Uh, much easier and much cheaper than going out there and getting like another 50% growth or something out of this. Um, so if you're saying, okay, we really need to cut down on costs, make sure you don't lose the customers you have right now. So I would say focus on customer success, focus on churn prevention, focus on understanding customer journeys and inflection points within the customer journey and why customers leave. And they're going to be inclined to, because obviously they're in the same crisis as you, uh, and that's their first instinct is, okay, where can we save money? So that's another effect that makes it even more important to be close to the customers you already have. And it's probably wiser to spend uh, 10 euros on that than spending 10 euros right now on getting a new customer. Once you have that covered, of course, you can go into new modes. And that's where I would say maybe also a second topic to me. And we were talking about specialization. So in my eyes, growth in itself is not, is not just an amalgamation of, of different topics, but it is a specialization in itself. And it should be thought of as such. Uh, the skill of orchestrating different growth levers uh, as a founder would do, is a, is a different skill set from uh, just being a salesperson who can also do marketing or being a marketeer who can also understand customer success. And this is what you should also develop right now. You should develop people who can think holistically and who can think in stages and who can think, okay, when do we use product as a growth lever? When do we use marketing? How can we make sure that marketing influences sales in a better way? And this way, you're making things a lot more efficient and getting more, out of your, more bang out of your buck. Mm -hmm. That's probably also, I mean, if you have to cut your team a little bit, I mean, it obviously pays off to have people that think more holistically. Also, also as career advice, yeah, if you're on the other side, so that probably makes sense right now to be 
positioned or to, to position yourself rather broad in, in your skill set than, than too narrow because you never know whether you are in the right yeah. niche. Yeah. I mean, it's always not usually going to be the salespeople who are going to get cut first. But uh, even now, if you're going to be a salesperson who can do just one thing in marketing, that's already 10x better than any other salesperson mm -hmm. because then they're going to be able to just keep you uh, and leave and fire two people mm -hmm. uh, if they have to. Mm -hmm. Tuinang, on the marketing CRM side, do you already see a shift in focus on customer retention within yes. our portfolio? Yes, uh, I think there are a few mechanisms that are happening. On the one hand side, uh, we see across the portfolio that basically uh, the ventures are trying to, um, to slim down the, their teams, which also makes sense. They're basically trying to squeeze more out of, uh, um, of the existing team, which I think like, totally makes sense. And also, honestly, it unfolds a huge opportunity for the people staying because it means that they're going to have much more responsibility of, uh, of what they're going to um, continue doing. That's, that's one. And then secondly, I think there's a lot of discussion about how much am I, uh, am I still um, willing to pay for a new customer uh, compared to basically squeezing out the, the revenue from, from existing, uh, existing customers. And obviously, that's, that's usually a, a very easy calculation, right? Because CACs are usually three, four times higher than, than what you would um, be able to get with the, uh, with the existing customer. So I think that's a very easy calculation. And then thirdly, so everything what we see in CRM happening right now, it basically triples. I mean, already it, um, it kind of um, went through yeah, a, a bit of like a renaissance uh, when, when we had the changes with, uh, with data privacy and so on, which makes it obviously much harder to, um, to, to target the right people if you actually cannot target them effectively and efficiently. But now even more, if you know that actually uh, probably it will be much harder to acquire customers and then even uh, more um, significant and important to retain the ones you have. Mm -hmm. Do you also see in parallel, I mean, it has been talk of town already for a couple of years with the tracking difficulties mm -hmm. that people also invest more into first party data. Uh, is that also so because obviously you would also in order to do that well, yeah, mm -hmm. it would obviously also help to build up your own uh, first party data kind of assets a little yeah. more. Is there also probably first you explain to the audience what are first party data compared to third party? Yeah, so first party data is the data that you own as a company. So everything that happens on your platform, on your app, on your website, whatsoever. Um, and I think it will be uh, you will do that more, especially on the CRM side, to utilize uh, the data points uh, more effectively and really make sure that you, uh, that you play the right message to the customers. I don't see that first party will be used more for, uh, for paid media, also just simply because data privacy. I mean, you would basically need the consent from, from the people that you're allowed to do that or that they're willing to do that. Um, that's that's one, and then uh, secondly, I think uh, we will see that people uh, that that the companies will actually be more specialized in in marketing tech, so working on server side solutions and so on. Um, there has been like a huge shift, and honestly, like uh, with with all the ventures, they all have it on uh, on top of their minds. So I feel like this is also going to the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to point out because often people think, oh, the cookie is going away. That basically means all cookies go away, and that's not true. I mean, first party cookies that you said yourself uh, will very likely be possible also in the time uh, forward. Yeah? Only third-party cookies yeah. um, uh, will have a huge problem. And I think that's always important to distinguish. And that's why also first-party data can still be a viable asset. Yeah. Um, yes, you need the consent, obviously. But if you have attractive offers, you can still collect them and, and use that. Yeah? So, so it's also, that's also where the connection to BI 
is, is, is there, basically. Um, so um, what have been, yeah, like uh, fuck-up stories you had over the last uh, couple of months? Is there anything you want to share and also learnings from that? So uh, maybe going a level higher on a meta level, um, one thing that I see within the last six to 12 months a lot, and I would say that maybe the anxiety about the market started even before that, right, with COVID, and then it's been going on and, and increasing and everything. I think that uh, we, but also some of the founders we talked to, sort of missed the right opportunity to double down on the basics, on the fundamentals of increasing sales efficiency, uh, making sure we have the right funnel set up, maybe making sure we have the right transparency to be able to actually act on things, to analyze things that are happening. And that's because, in my opinion, it happened because things were heating up so fast that people just felt like they needed to run faster and faster and faster. And so they were raising Series A's, and after Series A's, they didn't take a break to increase, to improve things. They just kept running and running and running. And I think that we've seen within the last couple of months already that some of our companies have been hurting because of that. And they have structures that are not Series B ready. Uh, they have structures that, that need another month or two or, or three months to just do your homework and uh, make sure you have the right dashboards, make sure you have the right data and the connections and everything set up. And so um, I think from, from our side, we've, we weren't really, we were running with them. We, we didn't really stop and say, hey, you need to do sales ops right now. You need to increase sales efficiency right now. And this is how you do it. And we can help you or talk to this person, do that. So for me, I would say if, if this is the opportunity now, um, there, you need to do sales ops. You need to do revenue ops now, which is the uh, level above that. This is the last point you have right now because after that, things are going to pick up later again. You're going to run again. And if you do that on shaky uh, feet, you're going to have trouble. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a key learning, I guess, in every venture that we kind of saw. If you don't build the basics in terms of infrastructure and team and structure and processes, it's just incredibly hard to scale or scaling problems will evolve. And that's not only the case in, in, in sales, obviously, that's also the case in BI, in IT, in basically every area. And I think if there's one value add that we can all bring, it's really like, I know it's kind of, you know, sometimes a little boring because nobody wants to take, I mean, basics are always boring. Uh, but I guess without the basics, uh, we, we see that over and over and over again. I mean, that's, uh, you cannot bypass building basics in what, whatever area. And I think that's, uh, that's a key, key learning. And I think that's also what, what a crisis is good for. Yeah? That uh, you know, it gives you time to breathe often. And if you invest in the right kind of infrastructure and right basics, it could also be uh, something that's, that's valuable. So um, taking a look at our portfolio, wh wh which of the companies do you think is well positioned for what's ahead of them, basically, with the current crisis? <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe it's a little bit strange, but I think one of our uh, portfolio companies that could come out of the crisis uh, stronger is Meine Erde, one of our newer investments. So they, they basically, they're coming up with a new way of funerals. They call it Reerdigung. And uh, first of all, their business idea, their business model is relatively independent from the, let's say, macroeconomical trends. There is no such thing as a strong correlation between them and the uh, mortality rate, to put it that way. But this is just one aspect, because we have to see that currently we're not only in an economical downturn, we also have this really severe situation with the war in Ukraine and with the impact on oil and gas. And if you think of Meine Erde, so I would say their main competitors is, or competition is cremation. And uh, this is where they will take the market share from. And now with the whole situation, apart, because cremation is heavily relying on gas. 
and with the gas price and the gas shortage and all this situation, I think this could boost Reerdigung, which is, by the way, a nice way of funerals anyway. So I think due to these two factors, so both aspects of the crisis, this new venture is relatively well positioned. And uh, so I think, although it's maybe almost blasphemic or at least a little bit awkward to say it, I think they could benefit from the current situation. And I think there's also an interesting case in terms of branding, yeah, because I don't know who followed that, but their name is Meine Erde. Yeah? And at the same time, they coined this term of Reerdigung, which is kind of, they came up with it. Yeah? So, uh, so their product, which is a new form of funeral, they kind of framed the, 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 the category name for that which if they're successful is obviously a big uh, differentiator yeah, because everybody thinks they're kind of synonymous with uh, the kind of stuff that they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they, could, they could really own the entire, let's say, category of this funeral market. Yeah. Anything from your end, Raul? Yeah, if, if you look at the companies that came out of COVID, well, which is of course a different situation, there's all kinds of reasons why that happened. So some of them it was because obviously they did teleconferencing. And that was an easy thing. But the others, for some reason, e-commerce uh, was a boom thing for, uh, all of a sudden. Uh, and then there was, there's all these ripple effects where things boom and they, you can't just explain it uh, ex ante, right? Um, but if I'm thinking about different reasons why I could think you could come out of this well, first thing I would, thinking, I would be thinking of is um, ventures of ours that help other companies be tighter on money. Uh, and squeeze out more bang out of their uh, of their bucks. And first thing that comes to mind is Pactum. Uh, so if I'm thinking about uh, companies that are maybe now thinking twice about the money that they're wasting on their suppliers and thinking maybe we can squeeze something out of the, the, the long tail, then obviously that's Pactum. Um, then another one would be something like Hayflow. Uh, I think Hayflow for a completely different reason is because they're just... Can you explain what both of them do? Because I don't know whether everybody here is aware of what Pactum does and what Hayflow so does. So Pactum basically is an AI-enabled uh, tool that helps you uh, in an automated way, uh, renegotiate contracts with suppliers. And the uh, customers for Pactum would be really big uh, companies such as Walmart, for example, who have uh, ten tens of thousands of suppliers and uh, where they typically are only able to negotiate with the top 1,000 of them or top 500 of them, and the other 9,000, they don't really, they're not able to put in the effort. So with Pactum, they can do that with an AI, right? Uh, or something like Hayflow, which is a just really, really simple thing that can generate a lot of value uh, within a very short amount of time. So you don't have like huge implementations, but within a week you can set something up. There's a simple flow on your website where people can sign up for an event or people can sign up uh, and, and a big use case of them is recruiting, for example. And you don't have to do like a two-month implementation of a tool. You just say, hey, let's do Hayflow. Let's see what happens. And so this agile way of doing things, that is what something like a Hayflow lends itself to very well. So I think that is something that could benefit, right? You, you, you go away from these huge investments, these huge monolithic tools to, let's just Hayflow this, right? And there's even, there's a saying in our company, like we have some really big fans in my team who, even to the point of annoying the shit out of me, at any given moment, at any, any opportunity, be like, hey, let's use Hayflow for this, right? Any time we have a problem, it's like, can we do this with Hayflow? Uh, but I think that's the kind of thing you want to be right now. Something where people are like, okay, I can see a lot of value in like this thing that costs 100 euros. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also one, one learning you can draw from this, like as a venture founder, but also we can do that by really thinking about how can we frame the sales story or marketing story of a certain venture, uh, especially in the B2B space, uh, on how to save costs for somebody else. Yeah? I mean, that's right now the time. If you're saving costs for somebody, you have a very easy sales conversation. 
Yeah, um, and I think that's that's probably also a good a good learning. Um, as, as far as branding is concerned, I really like what you just said. Let's hay flow that. So to really to make to hay flow like to Google a verb, I think then we would have done a great job in branding. Let yeah. some sound let make some sound a lot bigger than they actually are. So that's that's. That's uh, yeah, a little bit the story of uh, ventures, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, bum, 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 bum. Do you see anything basically? How we could prepare our, our ventures better, basically from from our end? I mean, do you do you have any specific initiative from your teams where you basically approach the ventures and basically say, okay? That is what we can offer to you now, in, 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 uh, you know, with the upcoming prices in terms of you know special products, special services, special approaches uh, that are geared to that. Anything you, you might add here, Raul? So it really comes down to what I said before, which is um, you look at things like sales efficiency, and we are now trying to make this, which can be a really difficult topic, uh, which goes into all kinds of sales ops topics and enablement and tooling and all that. Make it really simple. Give our ventures some frameworks that everyone can understand where you can implement it and within a month you have more transparency and you get more out of it. Like a very clear framework for a sales funnel that you don't have to have a sales force for. You don't have to have 20 people for. It already works when you have two or three people and it's already going to help you. Um, forecasting is another big one. So we're improving our efforts on making a better forecasting product if you want for our ventures uh, because they obviously they want to have a better understanding of where they land at the end of the year. But also looking at something which almost no company ever does, something like risk. Because not every funnel is the same, right? A funnel with one really big company that's too big to fail is a completely different risk funnel than one funnel with 100 companies of the same size. So starting to look at things like this, just not just quantity but also quality. Uh, a second one would be uh, growth in its entirety. So making sure that we help them understand the different growth levers and the efficiency of that you can get out of that and not just like throwing 20 salespeople at things because they're really expensive, obviously. And the third one is we are really, really doubling down our efforts with Vicky now and our team uh, who came specifically for that and building up a team and a squad now of people for that is customer success. Uh, and that really goes to everything from customer journey, understanding inflection points, understanding to-dos, uh, churn prevention, which I talked about earlier. And I think all these are things that are relatively quick to implement, but can make sure you keep the money you're making right now. Yeah. Hello, podcast listeners. We have some exciting news for you. Our Project A Knowledge Conference is back and happening on October 7th at Kultur Brauerei in Berlin. If you want to get to the heart of the European startup ecosystem and connect with founders, leading investors, and digital experts, join us for a whole day of knowledge sharing and networking, where experts from every area of digital operations will share their insights and best practices. This year, we're bringing you an amazing speaker lineup, including Christian Hacker, co-founder and CEO at Trade Republic, Lubomila Jordanova, co-founder and CEO at Plan A, and Philip Glockler and Philip Klockner, co-hosts of the Doppelganger Tech Talk podcast. Apply for a free ticket now or purchase one directly from our website, knowledge-conference.project-a.com.